I am your host, Matt Gajewski. You can find me on Twitter at Matt underscore Gajewski. I'm here with my main man, Kyle Dvorak. He is at Kyle Tweets here on Twitter. Today's show is sponsored by Yahoo Daily Fantasy Sports, the most trusted name in fantasy sports. Yahoo DFS now includes CSV upload and CSV edit features for those looking to play multiple lineups. Make better choices. Choose Yahoo Daily Fantasy Before we get started, make sure to hit that thumbs up button, subscribe to the channel, and hit that notification bell so you know when this and all other videos go live. Kyle, we had an amazing week six featuring a vintage Derrick Henry performance. We had a couple running backs go down with injuries, which we will hit on, of course, because we are on the waiver wire show, so we will get to all that and more. Was there anything that stood out to you in week six, Kyle? Yeah, so not to, uh, you know, to not go too deep into what we have coming up, I'll just throw out one that I don't know if we have on the show sheet, but I just want to get your opinion on. Has, like, Baker Mayfield always been bad? Because uh, you could argue, like, the Raven injury, supposedly, I think they they might try and argue that's why they pulled him, but, like, he did not deserve to be playing. He doesn't look like a starting quarterback. He hasn't topped 250 yards yet this year, looked terrible last year. Like, did you like Baker? Because he's not on our show sheet. I just need someone to tell me what is this guy's deal. He was incredible coming out of college. He had a great rookie season and the bottom has just fallen out to the extent that like, he frankly doesn't look like the future. So not on the show sheet. I'm just throwing you this one out of, you know, out of the air. Is Baker just bad? I don't think he's bad. I mean, the dude's been dealt the worst hand in football. He's played with arguably two of the worst head coaches. Last year, Kitchens was a disaster. And this year, he's just not in an environment that's conducive to his success. When they're leading, he's not throwing. They just want to run the ball so he's not going to have big games. When they're losing, it's likely he did something bad to get them there. And you and I have talked about this a lot. That's what we saw yesterday. Like Baker Mayfield, if he plays well, he's going to get the reins taken off from under him and he's not going to have these huge attempt games. So he's he's a drop candidate in fantasy. If anyone's starting him, like this is a great segue right into our first topic, which is quarterback streamers. I do not think Baker Mayfield is a startable quarterback in any sort of league right now, unless you're playing deep, deep, super flex leagues. And I would immediately be looking to the waiver wire to start anyone I could in his place right now at the quarterback position. It's not the strongest streaming week. And we're going to take the show position by position guys. So we'll get in also to all the running back talk and everything like that. But, you know, just looking at the available quarterbacks on the wire, the number one player maybe is Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's on a buy next week. That's not great. Outside of that, we get a lot of guys in some real tough matchups, just as far as who is available. Is there anyone you really have your eye on as maybe the number one streaming candidate at the quarterback position? So I think this could very much change as the time we were recording this. It is Monday morning, you know, early afternoon, call it whatever you want. We haven't seen the Monday night or Monday late afternoon games yet. If Andy Dalton plays even modestly well, the offense he has put in is incredible. He's probably got the best top three receivers. Dalton Schultz has looked good as a pass catching tight end. We've seen Zeke take an uptick in his role as a pass catcher as well. And they play so fast. They're right now number one in seconds per play because they have given up the most points. And they also are passing at the second highest rate. 
everything aligns for no matter who is under center for them to have a lot of pass attempts to some of the best receiving options in the NFL. Now, does Andy Dalton make the most of those guys like Dak Prescott did? Obviously not. But if he's going to throw 40 times a game to Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, and Michael Gallup, yeah, he's probably a high-end QB2, potentially even a low-end QB1. He could be like you know the, the vintage Matt Stafford or Joe Flacco seasons where they just throw such an incredible amount of times that efficiency is almost a moot point. So pending Monday night's results, Andy Dalton will be up there. If you can pick him up now and you have guys worth cutting and your league lets you cut guys who have played, it's probably worth taking a stash on Andy Dalton, especially if you're not in a great spot at quarterback. Yeah, Andy Dalton available in 32 32- Excuse me, he's only owned in 32% of leagues at this point. He'll get Washington next week. Maybe not the best matchup. Washington does have a pretty good pass rush. And that Dallas offensive line is absolutely in shambles. So I do agree with you that he is still the number one streaming option based on his weapons around him, but it's not a cupcake matchup. And none of these guys really are in cupcake matchups. We get Teddy Bridgewater. He is available in 55% of leagues, gets New Orleans. Kirk Cousins on a bye next week. You can't use him. Daniel Jones only owned in 31% of leagues gets Philly. That's not the best matchup. Garoppolo is going to New England. Derek Carr going to Tampa Bay. Those are all really tough matchups. And we use the 50% own threshold on the show to determine who would be a streaming consideration. Everyone below this 50, this 50% thresholds in a conceivably tough matchup this week. I think outside of Dalton, if there's one player I might consider, it would be Teddy Bridgewater. Again, he is available in 55% of seasonal leagues. It's not a great matchup, but we like the weapons for Bridgewater. And facing New Orleans, they've at least allowed some production at points this year. Another guy to consider, maybe Jimmy Garoppolo, showed a really nice, efficient game last night. Any take on the Bridgewater or Garoppolo call? Yeah, I'm still going to roll with Bridgewater here. He has a great cast of weapons. I think his offense is probably an offense that is more conducive to fantasy points than Jimmy Garoppolo's team, where I think if Jimmy Garoppolo's team, the San Francisco 49ers, are going to be competitive in games. That's a scenario where I would imagine them running the ball a decent amount. Maybe, maybe not with their running back injuries, but I do think Teddy Bridgewater's offense is much more based around the passing attack. And like you said, the New Orleans matchup isn't exactly unbeatable. And you do like when the opposing offense can put up points. So I think Teddy Bridgewater is the premier ad of the guys who are available still in a majority of leagues, but he does get to the point where not all leagues are going to have a Teddy Bridgewater just laying around. Daniel Jones may be interesting. We saw him rush for, I believe it was 74 yards and like seven carries. One of those was a uh, just a long 49-yard run. He had another one that he got taken down at the one. It was this cheeky like QB draw style play from the 10-yard line. Gets taken down the one and his team doesn't go for it. Like, uh, come on, you got to – you're the Giants. Just play for wins. Why would you kick field goals there? So I think Daniel Jones, because of his rushing output, is certainly – an okay ad, but his passing game has just been utterly lacking this year. Three touchdown passes, all of them to Darius Slayton. If he doesn't put up 30 yards on the ground, it's probably a bust week, but he does have that potential. I just noticed we have a ton of revenge game narratives. Nick Foles in technically a revenge game versus the Rams. Uh, We have Jimmy Garoppolo in the revenge game versus New England. And there's one more revenge game. Oh, Teddy Bridgewater, we just talked about him. A revenge game versus New Orleans. So those mean nothing, but are very fun to talk about. Yeah, I I actually didn't see any of that, but it's maybe you think that's worth 
considering in, I don't know, a tiebreaker spot, but I'm not generally considering revenge games. One last note on the QB position. I would say Justin Herbert is owned in 54% of leagues. He narrowly misses our threshold. If you can get him, he would be my number one waiver ad at the QB position. But again, he doesn't quite meet our threshold. If I were to rank these players in order of preference for next week, right now it would tentatively be Andy Dalton one, Bridgewater two, Garoppolo three. What What is your order? Yeah, I think I have that same order. I would say, I would say, even though I guess if you need a guy, you can't be picking up Ryan Fitzpatrick. But in terms of just like the greater landscape of things, I actually think Ryan Fitzpatrick on a buy this week is not going to be very heavily targeted. But he would be the number one at if he were playing. So maybe that makes him the number three ad because you do hold a zero. Obviously, this week he doesn't give you anything. But if you can afford to roster two quarterbacks, I think you're probably getting low end QB one production from Fitzpatrick. He's an aggressive passer. He's shown some some spark as a runner. So if you can afford to hold a zero, if you can you know pick up two guys or if you already have a quarterback who's on the fringe of starting caliber, I think Fitzpatrick would be my number three. But if we're just talking about guys who are playing this coming week, yeah, I, I'm in alignment. I have the same top three as you. Yeah, that's a good point. A good call there with Fitzpatrick. If you can stash him and you need some help, that's a great idea. Of course, guys, we have a ton of free content at Osmo.com. NFL rankings free today. We're also doing a giveaway. If you go to Osmo's Twitter and check out the pinned tweet, there is a free giveaway pertaining to Monday Night Football. All you have to do is pick whether Amari Cooper or DeAndre Hopkins has more receiving yardage, and you will win an Osmo yearly pass. This is a $250 value. Make sure you like the tweet and follow the Osmo account and the Osmo NFL account on Twitter. The deadline to register for this contest is 8.15 Eastern time. Of course, this pertains to the Monday night football game. So if you're seeing this after the fact, well, hopefully you see it. Hopefully you see it and you get in on this. Otherwise, there's giveaways all the time and all sorts of free content every single day. Make sure you check out the NFL rankings. But as we move to the, the running back position, It's not the best streaming week at quarterback. Running back does have some intrigue, though. We teased this at the top of the show. We have some injuries to monitor here, Kyle. Raheem Mostert, ankle injury. Miles Sanders, knee injury. And this one looks like potentially the most serious of the group. We also have Mark Ingram go down with an ankle as well, I believe. So those are three significant injuries at the running back position. Again, it's Monday morning. We don't have MRI results for Sanders yet. But in the event, this is a serious injury. Who are we looking at? So I think it would have to be Boston Scott, but save for a few long runs, like Miles Sanders, I believe it's back-to-back games. I think it's like 74-yard runs, but I know he's had multiple long runs in the past two weeks and then done nothing outside of those runs. Is Boston Scott going to come in and be an improvement as a rusher over him? No, you buy him for the volume, but I think you have to understand that you're looking at, I don't know, 10 to 12 carries at most and a handful of targets. He'll probably be something of an inefficient low-end RB2 now, is that what some teams need after losing, you know, Nick Chubb, Austin Eckler, Saquon Barkley, all these guys? An inefficient RB2 could be a godsend for some teams. If you're just playing in like a, a fab league or if you maybe really need help at receiver, I wouldn't go too heavy on Scott specifically because we don't know the extent of Sanders' injury. And even if he were, unfortunately, to be out for the whole year, it's not like you're getting a like you're not getting a Mike Davis one for one replacement of Christian McCaffrey you're probably getting a less than one for one replacement of Miles Sanders, who has really coasted on a handful of big runs this year. So Scott is certainly a decent ad because the volume he'll see, but this Philly offense just doesn't give me a ton of excitement for the running backs, whether it be Sanders or Scott. Agreed. And I have concerns that Boston Scott is even the bell cow in the situation. We've seen Corey Clement 
play a little bit in this offense too. And even going back to the second week of the year, you know, Boston Scott, everyone played him week one. Everyone played him week one. And he let us all down. And then week two comes around and Corey Clement was a little bit involved too. So I'm just curious if you think he's someone that maybe could be a speculative ad. Yeah, he's definitely worth a deep speculative ad, but there are a handful of players who I think can give you basically the same production as he potentially could. Like I think Corey Clement's upside essentially is a guy like JD McKissick, who I, I think is going massively underowned. Like he should be rostered in almost every league. How many leagues can say that they have everyone has a secure running back core? Like there is no way that every team avoided all of the like enough busts where they shouldn't be rostering JD McKissick. Last week, he was targeted more times than Antonio Gibson. He saw only one fewer carry. He operates as the primary running back in the two down or the two two down the two minute drill because he's a good pass blocker and a good pass catcher. He's like the most unassuming PPR back you're going to find. But he also gets a little bit of run between the tackles or at least as a running back. And he's the reason we're not talking about the Antonio Gibson breakout. It's been, what, six weeks now? I don't see J.D. McKissick's role dissipating anytime soon. I think if Gibson were going to break out, it probably would have happened, or at least it won't happen for another few weeks because McKissick has consistently played a role on this offense. He probably does need to be used exclusively in PPR leagues because the bulk of his work does come as a pass catcher. But he's owned in, you know, what is this, 88? Or he's unowned in 88% of leagues. I can't imagine I have any teams that couldn't use like an RB three, just sitting on the bench as bye weeks roll in and injuries continue to pile up. Oh, he's definitely someone I have my eye on. And you mentioned it. He's only owned in 12% of seasonal leagues. And he's a guy you can use. He's almost, if I had to liken him to another player, like a James white, like, yeah, it's a little bit more between the tackles role. So I'm with you. I like JD McKissick a lot. I think he might he's at least in the same conversation as like a Corey Clement and a Boston Scott, just because I'm not sure what the situation for them is going to look like going forward. I think I slightly prefer the Eagles backs to McKissick, but I think McKissick is more of a, a safer option with a better long-term role, just not knowing the prognosis for Sanders at this point. If we get Sanders out for the year, I certainly would prefer Scott, but we'll, we'll wait to get that information. I think one back we missed is Justin Jackson. Now, he barely meets our threshold. He's owned in 45% of fantasy leagues. But Justin Jackson, while Austin Eckler is out, is playing a sizable role. It's not a bell cow role. It's not a Mike Davis role. But this L.A. team is fourth in place per game, and they're a run-heavy team. The last two games Justin Jackson has played, he's handled carry counts of 6 and 15. That 15, of course, was the game Eckler missed. And then target counts of 2 and 5. So total touch counts in those games – Eight and 20 for Justin Jackson. He is going to run behind Joshua Kelly, but he is still the number one waiver ad for me at the running back position because you are going to get three or four, depending on how long Eckler's out, usable weeks. And with LA running so many plays, like they get Jacksonville this week, should, they should be playing ahead in this game. That's a lot of run for a running back in an efficient offense. Is he your number one ad at the running back position? Yeah, I think he's – I'm just shocked. I guess maybe because he was on bye last week, people saw that they weren't going to get a usable week out of him. But I'm just shocked that he isn't owned in a vast majority of leagues. And I'll throw this back to you. I'm not entirely sure he doesn't run as the 1A to Joshua Kelly's 1B, at least what we saw in the one game that those two you know, split the work without Austin Eckler in the entire game. He got 20, 20 total touches, and I believe Joshua Kelly was at like 12, and he didn't have almost any involvement as a receiver, whereas you said it was five catches, I believe, for Justin Jackson versus New Orleans Saints. 
there's at least a chance that he does end up being the lead back on this team sans Austin Eckler. I'm, I'm surprised it's not Joshua Kelly, but if we have a small set of data to work with that says it could be Justin Jackson, you have the upside of him being the 1A and the floor, obviously, of him being the 1B. He should be owned in every league and has like modest RB2 upside if he can hold on to that role that he had in a, an admittedly small one-game sample versus New Orleans. Joshua Kelly is like the most vanilla runner of all time. I do a prospect model every single year and look at every running back that was drafted. He was outside the top 15 and forced missed tackles per attempt and yards created per attempt. Not the most athletic prospect either. He's just never been anything more than an average back. You know, the kind of back need three yards will get you three yards, need four yards will get you three yards. That's who Joshua Kelly is outside of those two situations. I want to ask you about a couple more speculative situations. We did see Raheem Mostert go down. We did see Mark Ingram go down. With Raheem Mostert, there's guys like Tevin Coleman that are widely available. Tevin Coleman dealing with an injury of his own, of course, just not knowing how long Raheem Mostert might be out. Would you be willing to throw a speculative dart on a guy like Coleman who's only, he's only owned in 22% of leagues right now, so widely available. He could be someone that people use down the stretch. Yeah, his value is entirely dependent on the Mostert injury, whereas a guy like Jerick McKinnon, at least, who unfortunately, since we already had the Mostert injury previously, is owned in most leagues. So you can't get him. I guess you could check, but he's probably not available. Jerick McKinnon actually has probably a significant pass catching role if Mostert isn't or if he is on the field, whereas Tevin Coleman at this point seems like once he returns and is healthy, he would only have a role in the event that Mostert is out for a, a pretty considerable amount of time. So I think he's a guy that you're really only adding if you can afford to like load the back end of your roster with pure upside, no weekly floor plays. Obviously, we don't even know when we'll see Coleman. So I think for me, Coleman is probably on the back burner. One guy you could look into. So in that game, we had Jeff Wilson ruled out with it was I forgot the injury was, but it was late in the week. He actually cropped up on their injury report. Then he gets ruled out. So they didn't have a very deep backfield they had Jarek mckinnon and then they got to jamichael hasty maybe hasty is a very very deep ad you could look to was a guy who i think is udfa but they were raving about him in training camp then he doesn't uh, i believe he got like relegated to the practice squad probably got pulled up he's a guy you could look to in the deepest of leagues in the event that jeff wilson and raheem Mostert are both out for some amount of time he actually would operate probably as the number two back until tevin coleman comes back yeah, he's a stretch for me. I, you're, you laid out the exact situation where he'd be viable. You would need injuries to Raheem Mostert, Tevin Coleman, and Jeff Wilson for Jamichael Hasty to even sniff the roster. He was in a three-man timeshare at Baylor, couldn't even win the starting job there. So I don't have a lot of interest in him. I think, But his training camp, he looked good when they weren't doing anything in pads. Believe me, man, I love the training camp reports more than anyone, and no one's been bamboozled more than me. But... I, I just think there's other guys on the waiver wire you'd want ahead of him. Like Naheem Hines would go ahead of him for me. Yeah. I, I think O'Brien Hill, even who's seeing six to eight touches per game, you know, sort of uh, a Chase Edmonds like role, a less efficient Chase Edmonds role for Brian Hill. He'd be on the list, but to, to kind of sum up the running back position, I want to get your take on this too. For me, it's Justin Jackson is the number one ad followed by the Eagles backs, Boston Scott getting the lean there, JD McKissick as the number three. And then the speculative ads we talked about in Tevin Coleman and and Naeem Hines being a later one, Brian Hill as well. What's your take on this? Yeah, I agree. Justin Jackson, by far and away the number one. Boston Scott pretty clearly is the number two. I, I'm not as interested in Corey Clement as you are. I do think he plays a role, but given how much he's been mostly used as a special teamer in recent weeks, 
I think it, it's Boston Scott as the primary back and Corey, Corey Clement just factors in, especially between the tackles because Scott is like a smaller pass catching built back. So I think Corey Clement probably mostly serves as this like between the twenties, unvaluable, lots of empty calorie touches guy. So I would take JD McKissick very cleanly over him. Boston Scott and JD McKissick probably fall into the same tier. Although Scott does give you a bit more upside because I do think his touch ceiling could be pretty high if Corey Clement doesn't factor in, but we should see some Clement. I don't think I'm really even having too much Clement on the radar. I just think he serves as like eight carries a game and a target on an offense that I hardly want to target their running backs anyways. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Guys, before we move on, I want to tell you about Osmo Plus. You can get access to all of the great Osmo Plus tools and content for nearly every DFS sport out there with an Osmo Plus weekly pass for $29.95. This includes full access to all premium content and tools on Osmo.com, including player projections, ownership projections, our premium Slack channel, and much more. Only looking to play NFL? Then sign up for our weekly NFL package for only $14.95 or give our NFL weekly express pass a shot for only $3.95. Stop guessing. Start winning. Join Osmo Plus today. Okay, Kyle, going to wide receiver. You and I, we, we were talking a lot last week about Chase Claypool and Travis Fulgham. A lot of it was What's the role these guys are going to play moving forward? There's a lot of moving parts in these offenses. Of course, Deontay Johnson out in Pittsburgh. And in Philly, they're going to get some receivers back at some point. Not sure when on the Alshon Jeffrey, Jalen Rieger situation. But eventually, they're going to have healthy bodies, healthier bodies. We'll, we'll see about this. And I think they both squashed concerns largely. Do you prioritize them even more so this week on the waiver wire? Because neither of them are owned in 50% of leagues. I know. Did like people not check out the show and hear us talk about these guys? Like both of them topped or hit at least 75 yards, I believe maybe it's 74 and scored a touchdown. Clay, Chase Claypool, I believe, got it done on the ground. Fulgham got it done through the air. Fulgham has scored in back to back to back weeks. Now he's getting the targets as well, because I know his first score was like one long catch on three targets. I believe it's back to back games of 10 targets for him. Travis Fulgham is operating not only as like the number one receiver on this team like wide receiver but Zach Ertz is nicked up they're entering a short week and Zach Ertz is also terrible anyways so he is I think even when they get the receivers back like I think Deshaun Jackson could return this week Alshon in play as well I think Rieger is still a few weeks out from that initial prognosis but I'm not entirely sure on that Travis Fulgham probably maintains a one or two number receiver role on this team and their tight end production has just been completely absent when Dallas Goddard isn't on the field so Travis Fulgham, I think, is one of the my two favorite ads, probably. I know you have a guy that you like out West, but I think Chase Claypool and Travis Fulgham are my one and two because at this point, like, they've gotten the volume. Their talent is undeniable, even when their teams get more healthy at receiver, when Deontay Johnson comes back or when, you know, Jalen Rieger comes back. I think they've played so well that you can't take these guys off the field and their talent will just continue to shine through. So Fulgham and Claypool are my one and two. Yeah, they're both fantastic ads. And I at this point, you're not pulling either of them off the field. And so in Pittsburgh, Deontay Johnson's coming back. I, I don't see Claypool coming off the field for Deontay Johnson. If anything, it should be Juju Smith-Schuster, who's been one of the least efficient wide receivers in football, as sad as that is to say. And same thing in Philadelphia. You're not pulling Fulgham off the field for the corpse of Alshon Jeffrey or Deshaun Jackson at this point, neither of whom can stay healthy anyway. I, I put Fulgham... A little bit lower on the list still because I like Rieger's upside a lot more long-term, but for sure right now you like Fulgham. A couple other guys that I think are very much worth an ad. One is Henry Ruggs. Of course, Henry Ruggs came back from an injury of his own, only saw a 
a couple targets ends up with the two long touchdown or one long touchdown, two long catches goes over a hundred yards in his return. But there's just a lot to like in Oakland in a wide receiver room. That's very barren outside of Darren Waller. That is a surprisingly efficient offense to start the year. Never thought I'd say it. And Derek Carr, the guy's throwing deep a little bit. I don't know if it was just, you know, when your, your wide receiver room consists of Nelson Aguilar and Zay Jones, like he can't throw deep, but Rox has opened it up for him. So I like him as an ad. Mike Williams is someone else I would point to. He's also dealt with injuries to start the year, but in his first game back, eight targets, five receptions, also the little added bonus with Keenan Allen dealing with an injury. If Keenan Allen sits, I think Mike Williams very much runs as the wide receiver one in that LA Chargers offense. Any lean on the Ruggs Mike Williams call? Yeah, for me, it's just the target volume, like you said, with Ruggs is still yet to be known. I believe it was three targets when we saw him before the bye, and he converted on those targets, and his targets are very high value because he runs so deep down the field. But if he's not going to get a ton of targets, a very reasonable target share, he probably falls to the back end of still the top tier of guys. I just put him behind Claypool and Fulgham. But with a first round pick, immense talent, you can absolutely see and you should project that his target share does rise in the coming weeks. But it probably only rises to the level of Fulgham or Claypool, or maybe you could say it goes ahead. But his ceiling in terms of targets is that of Claypool, Williams, and Fulgham. His talent, though, I think is, is probably arguably better than any of those guys. I still take Mike Williams over him. Not sure what the situation will end up being with Keenan Allen. The injury wasn't anything specific. It was back spasms that kept him out. I don't think we're going to see any missed time from him. But the offense, without or with Keenan Allen, has looked incredible. Mike Williams had a breakout performance on, I think it was probably a Monday night game, versus New Orleans, two touchdowns, operated as the number one receiver. He'll probably get relegated to the number two receiver role again, but apparently the number two receiver role for Justin Herbert is still quite valuable. So he he comes in as my number three with Henry Ruggs at four. Again, this LA offense is running a million plays. Yeah. So you're getting volume for the backs, multiple pass catchers. It's a very nice situation. And if Keenan Allen were to say it would just be icing on the cake again, Mike Williams is only owned in 45% of leagues. Most of these receivers we're talking about are in that upper 40% range. So you still might not be able to get your hands on a Claypool who's 49% owned, Ruggs 47, but Fulgham at 31% in most of your leagues, you know, leagues that I think that aren't so deep, he's going to be the number one waiver wire ad just because of availability. Once we get a little further down the list of receivers on the wire, I am still very much interested in Marquez Valdez-Scantling as the number five receiver on my board, only owned 30% of leagues. We just saw the worst performance from Aaron Rodgers. I think maybe we yeah. certainly that we've seen from him all season and maybe going back multiple seasons now. So I, I do think better days ahead are for Marquez Valdez Scantling running as the number two in that offense. I don't have as much interest in a guy like Christian Kirk or LaVis Chanel who are available in about 40, 45% of seasonal leagues. Neither of them play a high upside role in their respective offenses. And we saw DJ Chark's reemergence render LaVis Chanel just a tertiary pass catching option there. So I think Marquez Valdez-Scantling is the fifth guy on my board outside of the big four we mentioned. Do you have a specific lean? Yeah, I love LaVisca, but the, the presence of Chark and Keelan Cole, who just every other week pops up with like seven, eight targets, has really capped his upside on a team that already just wants to throw dink and dunk passes to Chenault. So if you're only getting five or six of those, seven or eight even, and a carry – Sure, in PPR leagues, that's good for wide receiver four numbers, but I think you get more upside by going with a guy like Marquez Valdez-Scanling, as you stated. Christian Kirk, yeah, I think he's a basically a cut candidate or a fringe roster-worthy player. I would take, I think, everyone we've talked about over Kirk. We've even seen last week, it was, I believe, his second week back, and it was his lowest snap share 
in the NFL entirely because he actually did enter the NFL and step into a pretty reasonable role. It just was kind of hard to tell because that offense was so terrible. Last year, the same thing could be said, and he wasn't producing much. Now they've scaled his snaps back even after coming back. Like you could say two weeks ago, well, he's coming back from injury, but he comes back from injury, plays a decent amount of snaps, and then gets his snaps scaled back. I think that has something to do with the presence of Andy Isabella, who's finally getting a consistent role. I believe he's had three targets in four consecutive weeks. Is he going to usurp Christian Kirk as the outright number two receiver on this team? Probably not. But does he cap the Kirk upside enough to where you already didn't want to play Kirk? Now he's splitting a little bit of his role with Andy Isabella. Yeah, I think that is the case. So Kirk is a fringe roster worthy player. I think the fact that he's not owned, uh, that he's not owned in 40% of leagues is probably fair. Yeah, it's a shame that Kirk's role is, you know, coming at the expense of Andy Isabella when really it should be Larry Fitzgerald, I think, yeah. that should be coming off the field. But this is an argument for another day. Let's talk about the tight end position, the wasteland that is tight end. If you do not have George Kittle, Travis Kelsey, or one of the other, Darren Waller, I am sorry for you and your team. Hopefully you didn't draft Engram or Ertz. But if you did, we're going to give you a couple options that maybe you could look to, and they're not, they're going to be gross but there's still going to be better options than those fellows. So I think first, you know, like my number one tight end isn't even one specific player. It is a position on a team because we have Jordan Akins dealing with an injury. And when he's been healthy, he has been playing a full snap share in this Houston Texans offense. When he's been hurt, the role has been assumed one for one by Darren Fells, both only owned in 5% of seasonal leagues. I think they are better. Just whoever starts for this Texans offense is immediately better than Evan Ingram. They're immediately better than Zach Ertz, and they're players that should be owned in near 100% of leagues. Is this an egregious take? No, I actually, I think, uh, I forget where, but I wrote up Zach Ertz somewhere, and I was like, you can just cut him, frankly, because especially if he doesn't play this week, are you going to hold a zero in Zach Ertz if he doesn't play this week? Because they do play a Thursday night versus the Giants, I believe. So they're on a short week. If he doesn't come back this week, even if it's just one zero, that's a, a one week you can't use him. And when he returns, are you going to use him in his first week back? I, I'm not sure. And should you use him at all? I don't think so. So, yeah, I agree. I, I'm picking guys like Jordan Aikens, Trey Burton, another great breakout from last week. I believe he got it done. Did he get it done? He got two scores. It was one of them like a one-yard carry, I believe. No clue how that happens, but good on Trey Burton. Still kind of operating in the mix with Jack Doyle and Mo Cox if he comes back will probably take over a certain amount of that pass catching role. So Burton's situation, much more in flux. Like you said, if they have a tight end on the field, you should be playing that tight end in Houston. Darren Fells scores in back-to-back weeks, I believe. Jordan Akins, when he's healthy, plays the entirety of the pass catching role. So whichever one of these guys is playing should be playing for you, and you can safely play them over guys, like you said, like Zach Ertz, like Evan Ingram. So Fells and Akins both need to be owned in a majority of leagues. Yeah, I also have interest in a guy like Greg Olson just because of his attachment to a highly efficient Seattle offense. He's not on the field as much as a guy like Darren Felser, Akins, whoever is starting and healthy in that Texans offense. But Greg Olson's still an attachment to a highly efficient passing game overall. He's going to have big games similar to maybe a, a Dalton Schultz, how he has big games once in a while too just because of his his position in a fantastic offense on the field. So I won't belabor tight end. I, I, I guess if you're completely desperate, I would look at a guy, Irv Smith maybe, only owned in 9% of leagues, seems to be growing as far as his role goes in Minnesota. Any lean on the ancillary pass catchers at the tight end position? 
Yeah, I kind of like Irv Smith. You're not getting a ton of bankable production from him, but he's a guy who I think probably has more upside than Logan Thomas, than Trey Burton, probably than Greg Olson as well. Maybe not Greg Olson, though that offense is is quite impressive under Russell Wilson cooking. But Irv Smith, his, tar- his snap share has grown in four consecutive weeks. His, tar- his targets have grown or held steady in four consecutive weeks, back-to-back weeks of five targets. You're still going to have to deal with Kyle Rudolph every three weeks catching a touchdown and you losing a matchup because of it. But I think the talent of all these guys is probably most in favor of Irv Smith. The role increasing, I think he's worth a speculative ad, but he's not a guy you feel confident starting. 100% agree there. Let's pivot over to defense, another one of the highly streamable positions that we had the dream situation on the waiver wire last week. All of our favorite bad teams were available to be exploited on the waiver wire. This week is not the case, but I do think there is one matchup that stands out in particular. The Los Angeles Chargers, they are only owned in 20% of seasonal leagues. This is because they just played on a buy. But fortunate for you guys, they get a, a matchup against the Jacksonville Jaguars on deck. A Jacksonville Jaguars team that is fairly pass heavy and prone to turnovers. And we know this LA defense, while they're a little bit banged up, they still do have some fantastic options at creating turnovers. That's my number one waiver defense. Do you like the Chargers and anyone else you would potentially take a look at? Yeah, Chargers are the number one. I think the maybe the only contention, I guess I would throw out two. Dallas with one of the least talented defenses in terms of what they've given up, but they face Washington. And most of what I look for when I look for a streaming defense is just who do you play? If you're going to play Kyle Allen, who takes sacks with reckless abandon, like last year, I don't even think he started the whole season and he didn't lead the NFL in sacks, but he led the NFL in sack yardage because when he takes sacks, he just refuses to let go. He drops back, he drops back, and then he takes a sack. He's terrible for his offense. I think Dallas, despite their their overall lack of production through what will end up likely being through six weeks, I still think versus Washington, you just want to get those guys. And I'm not sure how much the Eagles are owned. I'd be shocked if they were owned at all, though. And they face the they face the Giants this week. I think both sides of that matchup are good because both quarterback play has been terrible from Philly to the Giants. So just stacking defenses against bad quarterbacks specifically, but bad offenses overall should be your primary strategy. Yeah, for sure. And this Dallas defense is getting healthier slowly but surely. They're getting Leighton Vanderesh back tonight. And Sean Lee is slated to return next week. And then a couple other guys on short-term IR that will be back at some point. Not sure exactly when. And Anthony Brown and Chidobe Awuzier. So this defense, while it's been bad, a lot of guys on short-term IR, they're slowly getting healthier. We'll see if that makes a difference. But to cap off this waiver wire show, we're adding a new segment at the end. Players that you should consider dropping. And a lot of these are coming into the pass catcher positions, but we mentioned a lot of fantastic options in growing roles on offenses this year. Chase Claypool, Henry Ruggs, Mike Williams, Travis Fulgham. Is there anyone like, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard dropping the guys you spent premium draft capital on. I know it's hard, but at some point you have to do it. Is there someone you're really looking at that you think people should just tear off the bandaid right away with this player? Yeah, I think I talked about him before, so I won't belabor it too much. But Zach Ertz, even if he plays this week, at what capacity is he going to play? And he's terrible. He's just downright awful. One of the worst starting tight ends in the NFL in terms of yards per target. He's getting a decent amount of volume. But frankly, with his lack of production, the volume has not mattered. His offense hasn't looked good. I think he's a guy you can drop. Evan Ingram kind of falls in that same tier where I, I he's kind of the opposite. And I, I still think he's probably talented. But the volume has not been there. I'm not sure I'm quite ready to drop him yet. But if there are... Like, I think the the Houston tight ends are probably better starts if one of them is going, you know, if Akins is healthy, he's probably a better weekly start than Evan Ingram. 
one more guy, and this is maybe the most painful because he was the guy I was most high on out of, you know, some of the drop candidates we have is Juju Smith-Schuster. Like he just seems to be simply relegated to at best a number three role. He hasn't led his team in targets on a single week. I don't believe everyone. I believe everyone on this team, Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson, Eric Ebron, James Washington have all had a week where they out-targeted Juju Smith-Schuster. I, I just can't deal with that. Juju Smith-Schuster only has one game above six targets this year. Uh, 17% target share. I am not going to drop him just yet. I can't, but I can see the consideration. And if, like, for example, if we get Keenan Allen out this week and Mike Williams is there, I'm just going to pull the trigger and I'm going to drop yeah. Juju. I, at some point, you have to do it, and this is coming quickly. I think another guy that's worth mentioning is T.Y. Hilton, as gross as this is to mention. But, man, what an atrocious game for Indianapolis last week where here are the target counts for some of their pass catchers. Mind you, T.Y. Hilton had five targets. Naheem Hines, six. Zach Pascal, seven. Marcus Johnson, eight. Trey Burton, five. Why is T.Y. Hilton only seeing five targets when we have Marcus Johnson and Zach Pascal receiving eight and seven targets, respectively? Yeah, I, I, I think targets are such a descriptor. Like, they're they're truly a talent statistic in that the ability to get on the field, get open against defender, and then have a quarterback find you open is a measure of talent. And the fact that T.Y. Hilton is not doing that relative to his teammates is an indictment on his talent at this point in his career. Not to disrespect what he did with Andrew Luck, but it simply is that, like all players, father time comes for you at some point, and it has officially come for T.Y. Hilton. One last player I'll mention is someone you might want to consider dropping, Jarvis Landry, a guy who's been banged up all year. We touched on Baker Mayfield at the top of this show. This Cleveland pass catcher core, not enough is made of the fragility in their target shares. People like to talk about Odell Beckham being top 10 in target share in the NFL, and they forget the fragility that comes with it in this Cleveland offense. Cleveland being one of the run heaviest teams in the NFL, when they are leading in games, Odell Beckham just does not see the targets. Four targets last week, and this also goes to Landry, five targets last week, and he hasn't even been targeted with the same frequency as Beckham. I think considering your options on the waiver wire, pulling the plug on some of these guys, and it's going to be hard with bye weeks, but if you can get Mike Williams, you can get Travis Fulgham, Ruggs, or Claypool, some of these guys with upside, I do think it's worth it. Any last thoughts on the waiver wire, Kyle? No, I agree, and I think like you said, like there are going to be guys out there like Claypool, like Williams, where like you just have to pull the trigger. Like I think that's what the sharpest fantasy manager is going to be doing, is knowing when to cut bait on a guy like Jarvis Landry, who we talked about. There is no universe in which Cleveland's passing game really pops off. Either Baker plays well, they get a lead, and they run the ball, or he plays poorly, and that's that. Your day is already over. So Chase Claypool, I'd say even Travis Fulgham, definitely Mike Williams are all guys you're taking over Juju over over Jarvis Landry, over T.Y. Hilton, and you just have to rip the bandit. I agree. Well, listen, guys, before we head out of here, make sure to hit that thumbs up button, subscribe to the channel. That helps us so much. Can't tell you how much we appreciate it. So thank you if you've already done those things. If you don't catch this show live, you can always check out our podcast network. We have all these shows up there, basically everywhere you can possibly find podcasts. We are there. Thank you again for watching the awesome Waiver Wire Show, the Week 7 edition. I am Matt Kajeski on Twitter at that underscore Kajeski. He is Kyle Dvorak at Kyle Tweets here. We will catch you again next week.